The following audio is from Downtown Church, a kingdom-focused, gospel-centered, multi-ethnic, multi-class ministry in Memphis, Tennessee. For more information, please visit downtownchurch.com. And so, Pastor Richard is going to preach this morning from 1 John chapter 5, verse 13 through 21, and I'll read that for us this morning. That's 1 John chapter 5, verse 13 through 21. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, and that this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask, and God will give him life to those who commit sins that do not lead to death. There is sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that does not lead to death. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep keep on sinning, but he who was born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are from God and that the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. This is the word of God. Be to God. Thank you, Aaron. It really is good to be back. Um, I'm going to be out. A lot of the summer, and um, I really do miss. Uh, we were actually in Napa Valley uh, last Sunday. Feel sorry for us. Um, and I can tell you that, and I mean this every time, that though we had um, great fun, we actually saw Chris and Whitney Davis. Uh, they drove up on Monday, a uh, week ago, I guess tomorrow. And we got to hang out with them, and it was a good time. And Terrence and Ashley Gray were with us, and um, got another good friends of ours. We had our denominational meetings in Sacramento um, this week, and it went very well. Uh, but no matter where I am, um, I am always missing this body, and I'm always missing being here with you. Um, and as I said, this summer we're going to be out of pocket uh, more than any other summer for whatever reason. Uh, but it's always good to know that we're in good hands uh, with the staff that we have, even, even though we are down one. Um, uh, but please know that just even though I'm not here, uh, I am working um, for this body. And that's why we are so excited. We really have been working hard to find this um, teaching pastor. And I hope that you will be praying throughout the week and next week that God will um, just... Um, bring any loose ends that are there. Uh, the biggest is just when to make the announcement because it will involve this person's church family as well as our church family, and we have to time that announcement. And uh, this body will have an opportunity to vote, so you're going to be brought in. We aren't just going to drop the person. You will be brought into the process, uh, but I think that you will be very excited, and uh, we just look forward to it. So. Having said that, let's uh, 
Let's go now to God's Word as we finish out our uh, study on 1 John. Father, we pray that you would open our hearts and our minds to the beauty of your Son, Jesus Christ. Father, I pray that we would know that we know. I pray that we would know Jesus, Him crucified, died and resurrected. That we would know Him as ascended on high at the right hand of the Father, reigning and ruling for us, praying for us by His Spirit. Father, I pray that you would come by the power of your Holy Spirit to bring faith to any hearts that do not believe, any minds that do not believe. Convince the skeptical this morning. And Father, revive the dull of mind and heart this morning that we all may meet at Jesus, knowing that we know to be eternal life. Oh God, would you do your work, the work that only you can do. And we pray in Jesus' name. John writes this, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. John is finishing up his epistle, and he is reiterating what he's been teaching the entire epistle. I want you to know that you know. Because Christianity is different from any other religion. We've said it over and over again. Every other religion says, do your best and cross your fingers and just maybe. But Christianity and Christianity... See, alone says you can't do it. The law is too high. God is too holy. His expectations are too out of reach. And if you try to play the religious game with God, you're only going to lose. It will leave you either defeated and despondent, or it will leave you prideful and self-righteous. But it will not leave you knowing that you know. You see, we can know that we know, not because we're good people, not because we're members of downtown church, not because our family goes to church, not because we give money, not because we give our time. And we can know that we know, not because we are not Muslim or Buddhist or a member of the nation of Islam but we can know that we know because of Jesus. Believing and resting in Him alone for our identity, for our salvation, for our justification, to secure God's love and favor for us because He lived, because He died, because He rose We can know that we know that we have eternal life. Because Jesus is eternal life. That's how this ends. His Son, Jesus Christ, He is the true God and eternal life. And dear friends, Jesus wants you to know. He wants you to know His love. He wants you to know that you belong 
He wants you to know that you're in. He prays for you. He prays for me. In John 17, in his high priestly prayer, Father, I desire that they also, whom you've given me, may be with me where I am. To see my glory that you've given me because you love me before the foundation of the world. Oh, righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you. And these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name. And I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Do you hear the intimacy of this? That they may be in me and I in them. Intimacy with God. This is what Jesus has for us. I was listening to a... um, a fellow church planner who is planning in San Francisco, uh, he was preaching at our general assembly, our denominations meeting this week in Sacramento. And he said that when he was in college, he was running from Jesus. He said he was scared of Jesus because he felt as if Jesus was chasing him with a straitjacket. That Jesus was chasing him with his rules and his laws and the oppressive nature of moralism. And yet he stopped running when a friend told him, no, Jesus is not chasing you with a straitjacket. Jesus is chasing you to take your straitjacket off. (laughs) He's chasing you to take off the burdens of your life. To take off the burden of trying to get to God through your own efforts. He is chasing you that you might fall into his loving arms. And I don't know if that speaks to anybody here. But dear friends, it's true. Jesus wants you this morning, as he has wanted you throughout this epistle, to know that you know that you have eternal life because of your relationship with Jesus the Christ. Let's look at it. The first thing I think we need to see is that through Jesus, we have friendship with God. And friends, hear us. Through Jesus, we have friendship with God, and friends, hear us. Rachel and I went to dinner with some acquaintances a few years ago. I know she's going to remember this as I start telling it, but uh, we sat down. These were old acquaintances, and we hadn't been with them in a long time. And as we sat down, it was a kind of a chic restaurant, you know, uh, kind of a, a happening restaurant, and they chose it. We said, let's go to movie and a pizza, and they said, no, let's go to this restaurant. We were like, oh, okay, all right, well, we'll go to this restaurant. And uh, a little bit outside of our uh, our income bracket, but hey, that's all right. The whole time, though, this this woman was texting. She was looking at her phone and texting. We were having a conversation, and she was looking down at her phone the entire time, texting. And whenever someone would walk in the door, her, her neck would turn toward the door to see who it was, if it was somebody that she knew. The entire dinner. And Rachel and I get in the car, and we had to pay for half of the bill. Uh, it was about, it was a lot of money, a lot of money. It was about six times what moving a pizza would have been. And, and we got in the car and we both had the same narrative. Can you believe that? How offensive. We were talking to her and she was looking down at her phone. Does anything make you feel more unimportant than that? 
We've all been there. We've been in situations. We've been in conversations. Probably this morning where you're talking to somebody, they're like, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. And you see, they're not solving world hunger. They're checking their Facebook status. And it makes you feel isolated and alone and unimportant. But we've all been with somebody that, that we knew we had their undivided attention. They looked at us. They responded to us. They were concerned about us. Listen to what John says. And this is the confidence that we have toward him. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Do you understand that you can have this kind of relationship with the living God? When we speak to God, he hears us. And knowing that he hears us is a byproduct of being a Christian. Did you hear that? Knowing that he hears us is a byproduct of being a Christian. As I started out saying, Christianity is something that is settled. It is something that, it, that rests on past history. The very life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. He lived under the burden of the law. So now God doesn't look to you to obey the law to get his favor. He doesn't look to you to, to jump high enough to get his attention and to get tight with him. Because Jesus came and he lived under the law for us. He is our righteousness through faith. We receive his righteous standing. And he became our sin. 2 Corinthians 5.21 For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So therefore God the Father through Faith in Jesus Christ receives us as forgiven and righteous, and therefore he hears us as much as he hears his own son, Jesus Christ. If you don't understand, if you haven't experienced that kind of intimacy with the Father, but if you, when you pray, you feel like he's texting or he's checking his Facebook status, if you feel unimportant and marginalized over there because of who and what you are, then you don't understand the gospel and you're missing out on the very entree of the gospel, intimacy with the Father. Do you know intimacy with God this morning? Do you know intimacy with your God that you can go to Him and He hears you? He hears you. Relationship with God is just that. And it's interesting. It is a relationship. A relationship is not mechanical. He, he tells us this in verse 15. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we've asked of him. But he qualifies that in verse 14. He says, and we know if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And so do you understand this, this relational aspect? It's just like having a really good father. 
We can know that that father hears us, but we can also know that he's going to do what's best for us. Because if a father did everything a four-year-old asked, his life would not be very good. (laughs) And that's how God is. And yet, do we have that balance of believing that when we ask something of our father, he is going to do it according to his will? When Rachel and I moved into downtown nine years ago this month, hard to believe, we lived about 150 yards that way, uh, maybe 200 yards, Vance and um, South Main. And every morning I would get up and just the, the, the sight of Claiborne Temple and the history of Claiborne Temple, that it was second Prez's first or second home, um, and they're the ones that called us to plant the church downtown, and the fact of all the history um, of, of, of it being the site of the sanitation workers' meetings and planning and the I Am A Man march, all of that, and the fact that it's right on the border of 38126 out that south window and 38103 out of this north window, and knowing that we wanted to be a bridge church between under-resourced and resourced and African-American and white and that we wanted to see one body in the power of the gospel dwelling together. We just, I just was convinced God just has to get us in Claiborne Temple. And so I prayed. I started praying. One of the, the first week I was praying for Claiborne Temple. And over the years, I tried three different times um, to, to purchase Claiborne Temple and all failed to the point that I was so frustrated that I gave up. And I really stopped praying. I said, God, I was mad at God. And it wasn't long, a couple years ago, that God put it all together. And I had absolutely nothing to do with it and I'd stopped praying. But isn't that a good daddy? Isn't that a good father? Because now I can rejoice not taking any credit whatsoever and say, God, you're amazing. You are awesome in your timing. Even in repentance, Father, forgive me for giving up faith. Do you see that that's how God works? His purposes, his agenda is so much bigger than our little requests. He wants to accomplish his will. And oh, he's so good. And sometimes we see it and sometimes we don't. I think about 30 years ago um, when I became a Christian and, and praying for my father for the last 30 years. Last Sunday, Father's Day, um, marks the year of my father's death. And he died and I have no assurance that he ever came to faith. And and I don't think there's a prayer that I prayed more fervently that I felt had to be within God's will than the prayer to bring my father to saving faith in Jesus Christ. And yet, at his death, I had no assurance whatsoever. And so what do we do with verses like this? God, you said if I pray according to your will that you are going to give it to me and that I can believe it, and I believed it. And you know... Sitting by my father's bedside, trying to fight God, always lose those battles. God gave me this overwhelming sense of, Richard, just trust me. Richard, look at the cross. Do you know I love you? You trust me. And I'm not saying 
anything about my dad's eternity. All I'm saying is my responsibility was not to save my father, but to trust my heavenly father. And that's what God calls us to, because that's relationship. This isn't some mechanical formula. Pray, and if you pray according to God's will, he's going to give it to you. Boom, boom, boom. No. It's God's will that's going to be done. And he gets his will accomplished through the prayers of his people. And how that works out, not one person knows. Jesus said, I don't even know the day or the time of the coming of... I I don't even know when I'm coming. I trust my Father. Do you? Do you see it? It's relationship. And yet it's a relationship that is sealed in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Do you know that Jesus hears you? Secondly, what does Jesus hear us for? Through Jesus, we can fight for each other in prayer. It's interesting. He moves from, if you pray, God, you know, I I want you to know that you know. Those of you who believe in the name of the Son of God, I want you to know that you know. And this is how you know. This is the confidence by, by believing that God hears you. All right? But then he starts talking about praying for those that um, are in sin and, and not praying for those that have committed the unpardonable sin. Do you see what he's doing? He's really picking up on the theme of the whole book. He's been telling us the whole time that sin is real, and yet there's forgiveness. And yet he is writing because there are heretics in the church. There are false believers. There are people inside the church who are working uh, corruption, who are working division. They're not there for the glory of God. They're there for their own glory. They are wolves in sheep's clothing. And their teaching is, oh, don't, you don't really believe. Come on. You don't really believe that there is an actual Jesus who was born of a virgin birth. Come on, really? We're educated people, right? There's nothing new under the sun, folks. There's nothing new under the sun. This was going on at the time when John was writing this epistle. You don't really believe in this Jesus, that he was the son of God. Come on, really? I mean, that's what was going on. And, and, And what John is doing is he's saying those people that have come in and are using the church that are teaching heresy, there's a sense in which we've got to give up on them. We'll get to that in a minute. But the first thing that he tells us is that we are to pray. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin, not leading to death, he shall ask and God will give him life. Why? He goes to the theme of his book, namely love. And love fights. I was with a good uh, friend of mine this past week in Sacramento, and he planted a church 15, 16, 17 years ago, and it was a high-profile church in a very unchurched uh, place, and it, the, the, the church was going well, and, and yet he had an affair. And um, he resigned from his church, and he went out of ministry for a time. And over those days, I would call him over that during that time and over the last several years, um, I would just call him on occasion and ask him how he was doing. I would tell him that I was praying for him. And I was praying for he and his wife. And there were many praying, many of his friends praying. And he is now after, I think, about a 
seven or eight year or maybe nine year break, um, now re-entering the ministry and about to plant another church. He and his wife have been restored um, and tremendous healing has taken place. And you see, this is what John is talking about. We are in a battle. And the battle is for our souls. And so when we sin against each other, and I felt sinned against, to be honest with you. He was my buddy. He was my friend. We were ministry partners, and he never told me what was going on behind the scenes. I felt betrayed, and I was betrayed. And yet it's not about us. It's about Jesus and his thing. And so how do we respond to each other when we sin against each other? Do we step away or do we step toward? What John is telling us is that we we step to each other. We move closer in. We've been talking about this. We, we, We don't hate our brother. We love our brother. We fight for our brother because we are in this together. And this is what family does. We fight. And we fight not for our agenda, but we fight for the glory of Christ in our midst because we are the body of Christ. The reason, one of the major reasons that the church is not the church, that we are not the the change agent of culture that we should be is because we are too nice. And we've, we've, we've received this message. That, oh, that's their business, and who am I? I don't have the right to judge. Yes, you do. If you see me in sin, you have the right to judge me and come after me. You have the right to confront me. Now, not the kind of judgment that sits on high with your feet in the chair uh, going back and forth and looking down, but the kind of judgment that says, brother, you're in sin. Come back. And there's inner working. Because that's the only way that the church can be pure because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God before we were Christians and, yes, after we're Christians. God has not called, say it again, God has not called us nor saved us to be nice but loving. And with love there's humility. And humility starts on our knees before God. Father, oh God, would you save them? Would you, would you take them from the, the, the hands of the evil one and from the ways of the world and would you restore them into your body? And use me as an instrument in your body of confrontation and of love and humility. Is there somebody this morning that you need to fight in prayer for? Is there somebody this morning that you need to go in your own tears and humility and fear and trembling and you need to confront? You may be wrong and that's okay. Out of that will come something good, restoration. But at least you said something, at least you tried. Do you see it? We can't be family. There's no intimacy in this body without confrontation. Do you understand that? In in a relationship, intimacy only comes through conflict. It's the only way it happens. If you're all a couple that tells me they never fight, that scares me to death. Something's wrong with them. And I mean it. If a couple comes to me wanting to get married and they say, Oh, you've never had a fight. 
I'm like, well, you don't really know each other. You're, you're, you're trying to marry an idol. This is not a real person to you yet. We don't have to fear conflict as believers. And that's why it's so important that as we move into this, this next part, that we, that we understand what, what John is saying, because he tells us who then commits the sin that leads to death. Oh, excuse me, that, where am I? I'm going to find it here. Well, maybe I'm not going to find it. Let me just go to the, go to the word. That, that's always good. Here we go. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin that does not lead to death, he should pray and God will give him life. I refer to those whose sin does not lead to death. Now, there is a sin that leads to death. I'm not saying that he should pray about that. All wrongdoing is sin, and there is sin um, that does not lead to death. Now, what is the sin? He, he, keeps, he keeps telling us, now, there's some people that you're not going to be able to get back because they were never with you. There's some people who aren't about Jesus. They're about themselves. And when you confront them, oh, buddy, you better be ready. Because you have just opened a war. And you have opened a, a door to real condemnation because they're not about Jesus. They're about themselves. And there's so much mystery here. I, I, I wanted to read to you Simon Kistemacher. He, he writes a, the Baker um, commentary on First uh, John, and, and this is what he says. He said, who then commits the sin that leads to death? The person who rejects Jesus as the Christ and who does not love the believer commits this sin. He does not share in the fellowship of the Father and the Son and is excluded from eternal life. He left the Christian community because he did not really belong to it. He had been a pretender. Reminds me of the words of Hebrews in chapter 6, 4 through 6. It's impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit and have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come and then have fallen away. It's impossible to restore them again to repentance since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding him up to contempt. Now, what is being said here? To be honest with you, I don't really know. I don't think we can look at cases and say, oh, that person over there, they've committed the sin that, is not, that, that leads to death. I don't know, that, I don't know that, that there's a sense in which we have the discernment ultimately to decide who does, but I believe that in some cases maybe we do. And I think maybe that ultimately resides in uh, the body of elders to make decisions like this, because Paul tells us um, in the book of Corinthians that um, that the leaders are to come together and they are to make a decision. They are to turn some over to God and say, we can't help them, God, you got to do it. And even the devil, because turning them over to God, sometimes you got to give them to the devil. Because they're about themselves and they're not about Jesus. And that is the importance of the message of this book. Are you about Jesus? 
Is your profession, is your confession, is the longing of your heart being satisfied by the person of Jesus, the Son of God, the Messiah, the Savior of the world? Because if it is, then you're concerned about those around you. Because to receive Jesus as the Christ, to say that Jesus is the Christ, is to say that you are not the Christ. It's to say that I am not him, but but he is mine. That's a message we need to hear today. George Barna published this statistic. He said the best way, he, he published this statement in um, uh, this, this kind of random uh, survey. Do you believe this or do you don't? The best way to find yourself is by looking within yourself. Ninety-one percent of U.S. adults agreed with that statement. Seventy-six percent of practicing Christians agreed completely or somewhat with that statement. We are in times of tremendous heresy in the church. The answer to life, the answer to anything, does not lie within us. It lies outside of us in the person of Jesus Christ. If you don't understand that, then you need to question whether or not you're a Christian. Because a Christian is not trusting his own instincts. A Christian is saying, I've abandoned my instincts for the truth who is Jesus. He is God, and he lived, and he died, and he rose. And do you understand that that is an offense to your intellect? It's an offense to your moral abilities. It's an offense to everything that you might think yourself to be. And that's the point. That the only way to come is to be utterly offended, but then to move into the realm of repentance and say, yes, I agree. I cannot save myself. I cannot find truth within myself. The truth of the world, the truth of the universe exists in the person of Jesus Christ. God has revealed this to me. I believe it in the depths of my spirit and my soul. And it is Jesus whom I follow. Have you made that realization yet? Let me say two things. If you've not, on one hand, I want you to hear that you belong at downtown church. Hear me. Because I firmly believe there are a lot of people in this room that still believe the answer lies within and not without. You may not be telling anybody, but that is the gospel of our day. Ninety-something percent believe that statement. Seventy percent, seventy-six percent of professing Christians. So that means it's right here in this room. But I want you to hear this clear message. You belong at downtown church. Stay here and keep working, keep, keep contemplating the claims of Jesus. But understand, on the other hand, you are not a Christian. But become a Christian. Would you receive this reality of Jesus? Would you repent of doing life for yourself on your own? And would you receive this message that... This one, the Lord Jesus Christ, has become sin. And he's been crucified that you might become the very righteousness of God. 
Would you believe that message? Even this morning, would you come to Jesus? This is the clear message of the gospel. Because, thirdly and finally, Jesus is eternal life. What does it mean? Understand, again, this is the difference between Christianity and religion. Religion says, here's the ladder, now climb. Christianity says, there is no ladder. There's only a person, and his name is Jesus. Now, what does that mean? Every single one of us understands what that means because we all can relate to the message, I have found the true one. Or... I am looking for the true one. Every couple that I've ever married believes that the person that they're marrying is the one for them. And guess what? None of us are the one for the other. The only one that is really for us, the only one that can really satisfy our soul is Jesus, is God. And the reason God's given us marriage is to give us an amazing taste of that. There's no other woman that I would want to give me that taste than my own wife, Rachel Reeves, who I've been married to 34 years this November. She has given me so much taste of the, the, the long-suffering, the forgiveness, the faithfulness, the perseverance of God. But she is not God. What she's given me I will have for eternity in Christ and she won't need me because she will have Jesus and that doesn't offend me at all. There will be no marrying or giving in marriage and glory. Why? Because we will be wed to Him. Because we are in Him. We are for Him. We are part, we are partnered with Him. And He is the end of all our longings. He is our joy. He is our fulfillment. He is our happiness. He is truth. Dear friends, do you know Jesus to be your eternal life? And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know Him who is true. And we are in Him who is true. In His Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourself from idols. Why does the book end, keep yourself from idols? Because this is a battle for the heart of men and women. If you are not loving Jesus, you are loving something. If you are not loving Him, it's not that you're not in love. If you're not worshiping Him, it's not that you're not worshiping. If you're not finding him to be the essence of truth and, 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 and life and joy and light, then you are looking for it and you've already determined that it's in something else. And so to come to Jesus is to say, this is not true, but he is. So if you're a Christian here today, what, I, what idols are competing for your love because they're all around and some are winning? Repent. If you're not a Christian here today, do you hear, have you heard this message maybe differently than you ever have ever heard it? Come to faith in Jesus Christ. Receive him as your personal Savior and Lord. Receive him as your truth. Receive him as your life. Receive him as the lover of your soul. 
Receive him as your provider. Receive him as your 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 CEO, your boss who's going to direct your life. Receive him this morning because that is where life is had. Every other message has been around since Genesis chapter three. There's nothing new under the sun. But there is hope in Jesus Christ. Would you turn to him? Would you believe in him this day, this moment? If not, keep coming to downtown church. Keep belonging. Even join, join a community group. But keep wrestling with the person of Jesus. And don't give up. Don't give up. Because I think you'll find that he's been wrestling with you long before you even knew you were wrestling with him. Lord Jesus, thank you that you're the lover of our soul. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are the light That you are the life. Thank you that there is forgiveness in you. Thank you that there is no one in this room right now who wants to come and know you and have you as their own Savior and Lord who cannot. (laughs) You do not hold any back. And so I pray this morning that you would draw many to yourself in this room. I pray that you would bring salvation maybe to some that thought they were Christians when they walked in this room. But, oh God, I pray that you would make downtown church a place to process, a place to ask questions, a place to bring doubts, a place to bring arguments. Because, oh God, if you are true and because you're true, the wave of questioning does not push you back. It only subsides the waves over time. So, God, I pray that your spirit would work among us, in us, through us. God, I pray that downtown church would be a beacon of hope and life to those that know death. Thank you, Lord Jesus. We honor you. We worship you. We give our hearts to you in Jesus' name. Amen.